Hey, good morning, church. Come on in, everybody find a seat. Did everybody enjoy the extra hour of sleep last night? Everybody at home, are we like waking up slowly? Oh, I am very grateful for the extra hour of sleep. Hey, stand with us as you're able, will you? Psalms 100 says, let us enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So we're going to kick it off this morning just in an attitude of thanksgiving towards the Lord. Sometimes it's harder to find something we're thankful for, but every single person in this room has something to be thankful for. So bring that to mind and give that to the Lord in thanks. We're going to enter his gates with thanksgiving. Sometimes we want to jump straight towards the Holy of Holies and experience that presence and experience that worship high, but we're going to start with thanksgiving to the Lord, okay? And then the psalm goes on to say, give thanks in him and praise his name. So join us right where you are. Let's bless the Lord with thanks.
Lord, just blessing you for who you are, praising you, giving you thanks. For from you comes all good things. From you comes every blessing. From you comes everything that is love, that is worth holding on to. As we sing this next song, it's a big day coming up on Tuesday, right? And I just want to offer us a chance as a church, as the body of Christ, to just spend a few moments in prayer. If you'll join me and just close your eyes, I just want to invite you to pray over our nation. Not so much that, Lord, I want my candidate to win, but let's just pray the Lord's will to be done for his kingdom to come. Let's pray against the darkness that is waging war on our country and on our world. Let's pray the light of God in his presence in. Let's ask for revival. Let's pray for our leaders. Whoever that is, pray for them. They need prayer.
worth proclaiming. You are sovereign. We acknowledge you as authority over all people, over all nations. Lord, we look to you as our only hope, as the only one who can bring true peace, as the only one who can bring true healing. God, you are the only answer worth trying to find. We just acknowledge you as the one who reigns and the one who is worthy of all praise. We lift your name up as a church, as a body. Lord, unite us in your spirit. We do want to take a moment and pray against darkness, against spiritual forces that are at work. God, we just proclaim your light into the darkness by the power of the name of Jesus. We welcome you in. No matter what happens, we can hold on to you as our rock, as the cornerstone, as our foundation, God. We can put all of our hope and our trust in you because you are the only one who will not let us down. We thank you for an opportunity to pray. Continue to put the call upon our hearts to pray as you call us to as your people to pray your will be done, to pray your kingdom come, God. We thank you so much for an opportunity to join our voices, to experience your presence. We ask that you speak to us through your word this morning, soften our hearts, soften our minds to hear truth that comes from you, that comes from your word. We want to bless you this morning with our hearts, and more importantly, we want to bless you with our lives. We offer this all to you for your glory, and in your precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning to those of you that are here with us. If you're online, hello. Uh, welcome to November. That feels a little bit crazy. Uh, hey, there's something going on here last night, whether you were aware of it or not, but we had the back parking lot all decked out. So we did a trunk or treat block party, and it was Awesome. You can see a few of the pictures from the evening there. Uh, what a fun night. Thank you to everyone who came and joined in, whether you brought a car and decorated it and handed out candy or you just came. It was great to hang out with our Northview family. So we wanted to let you know that was going on last night in this back parking lot. Uh, one special shout out, Shannon and Lisa Fallon did win uh, the best trunk award or whatever you want to call it. They had a whole pirate get-up with games for the kids, and it was awesome. Saw a lot of kids walk the plank last night, but there was candy on the other end, so they, they did all right. Uh, but thank you again to everyone who was part of that. A uh, couple things that are coming up. We're very excited. Christmas is coming. Esther is here on stage with me, and she's going she's gonna to talk about this choir thing. Yeah, so hey, good morning again. So this is the third week we've been talking about this, and you know I decided to come up again to lay on a little extra guilt to get some extra people to participate. No, actually, we've had almost 20 people already sign up for the virtual choir. It's amazing, but I really want to ask, we really need some guy singers. So if you've been thinking about singing with us for our virtual choir, this is a chance to learn one song and we are going to play that as a part of our Christmas Eve service. So if you've been kind of on the fence thinking about it, I just want to tip that over and say, yes, you do want to do this. So the, yes. No, so this is the last week to register. Just go ahead and go to inview.org, click the link, and then further directions will be given to you. It's going to be a very 
hopefully it's going to be a very easy process to follow. There will be tutorials, directions, and if you're scared to record at home, we will have an opportunity for you to come here and record your part. So if you have any questions, feel free to snag me after service. I will answer anything I possibly can. But this is the last week to register so that we know who we are working with. So if you've been thinking about it, I just want to encourage you to go ahead and sign up. It's going to be fun. It's going to bless the church and bless others as well, and it's going to bless you. So yes, join. Woo, okay. Awesome. Uh, thank you. Hey, speaking of Christmas, there's an event that we do uh, each Christmas. We partner with Step by Step organization that provides uh, all sorts of assistance to at-risk, low-income mothers and families with new kids. Now, we talked a little bit last week. We're not able to host them in the church like we've done before. Probably not the year to pack 140 families plus all of us into the church. Not the wisest move. So we are going to take it outside, and we're going to be doing a drive-through Christmas party for the families of Step by Step. Now, I've talked to a couple of you, and you said, but it's a weird year. Is anyone going to even come? Well, Step by Step said they're expecting 140 families. So, yes, they're going to be coming, which means we need your guys' help to prepare for that. Now, there's a couple different ways you can help, and rather than rattle them all off, if you head to the website or email Pam, uh, she'll be able to let you know all of it, whether it's giving financially to provide a gift box for the family whether it's to go buy a gift box or, or help the day of directing traffic and manning one of the eight booths that we'll have in the, in the parking lot down below. There's going to be a lot of ways to help. So just because it looks different, I want to encourage you, don't let that dissuade you from serving. Still be a part of it however you can. We'd love to work together. It's going to be awesome. We're going to be able to bless the families a step-by-step, probably in a year where most of them thought it wasn't going to happen. We weren't going to be able to do anything. We're able to do that, but large part. Thanks to you guys. So you can talk to Pam. She's right up here. She's sitting next to Pastor Steve. If you have questions afterwards, come and talk to her, uh, and she would love to get you on board. Now, since it is November, James and Sarah Lund, for those of you that uh, may not remember or just need a little memory jump, James is joining our staff, and he is coming on this month. Uh, so they're going to be here in just a couple weeks. It's going to be here faster than we know it. Uh, they're doing what I like to call, James, if you're listening, I hope this is okay. I'm calling it their farewell tour through the United States before they come up here and get, and get rooted. But they're visiting friends and families and supporters all across the country, and they're going to be here later this month. Um, and on behalf of the staff and the elders, I just want to say thank you to those of you that have helped. We put out a call for things that they need, a couple of our own really rallied around it and sent out information for uh, st things for their home. If you think about it, they left South Africa earlier this year. Most of the stuff is in South Africa, and it's not coming over. So we were able to secure them a house. We were able to secure them furniture and housewares, and that's all because we just put the ask out and you guys responded. So thank you. Keep your eyes out. I'm sure there will be other ways that we'll be able to help James and Sarah get settled in uh, and the boys. But over the next few weeks, just be praying for them. Let them get here without trouble. Welcome them. We're going to keep putting their picture up there so you know who to look out for when they're here. Welcome them and just join in our excitement for that. Uh, well, hey, if you would join me for a word of prayer, we're going to pray over our offering. As always, boxes are in the back or you can give online or mail it in. Uh, but however it is, let's go before the Lord. Ah, Jesus, this is an exciting time. And it's so encouraging to have excitement in the midst of just a really crazy year. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for the ways that they show up, whether it's buying a, a couch for James or giving out candy to kids last night, Lord, or, or whatever. 
This is an incredibly faithful group of people, and I thank you for them, Lord. May you be with each and every family this week. May you be with us this morning as we dive into your word. In your son's name, amen. Hey, in middle school, my main man Zeb right there, he's taking you upstairs. Have a great time. Thanks, Rob. By the way, let's get something straight. That daylight savings time, that extra hour, that never works for our family. Anybody else with us? We tend to blowing it, and then we go to bed late and like, oh, man. So we did it again last night. So <laughs> I don't know if we're saving anything, but uh, it's great. Hey, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. And uh, all of you who joined us online, we're, we're just honored to have you with us this morning. Just a heads up, we're, we're doing communion. Uh, so especially for those of you who are at home uh, as you're watching, I want to give you the opportunity to get the elements ready so that you're ready to do communion with us when we actually do it in the service here. So uh, we're doing that. As we jump into this morning, we've been talking this fall, and uh, we're here. It's election week, right? And Tuesday, and this message is going to fit with all of that. But we've been thinking about the call of what God's asked us. And we said four things. We said that we want to be steadfast. We want to stay united. We want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's what we looked at last week. And then um, to love each other deeply, right? Those are both events and processes, right? We do all of those together. And it's good to know that God has provided us a path. In other words, when it comes to these things, we're just in the dark, uh, fishing out there by ourselves. Uh, Paul points us to how Jesus modeled this for us. And Jesus' life example is very powerful. A lot of people have a lot of problems with Jesus, and then you ask them, have you ever read the four Gospels? What? Have you ever read the four Gospels? No. Why don't you just read the four Gospels and let Jesus state his own case? And it's amazing how when somebody does that, they come away with a completely different picture of who Jesus is. Last week we left off with Jesus humbling himself by becoming a servant. Not what you'd expect God to do, right? You don't expect God to do that. We said that he emptied himself. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, and that obedience was to the point of death, right? And picking up where we last left off last week, remember we left off with the, the therefore, right? Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <clears throat> we'll start with this, but like I said, it's going to be an interesting week, right? So we better pray before we get started. Father, there are, when it comes to the needs of the human heart, most of that is unseen. When it comes to the need, needs of our country, Lord, and when we're talking about this week and, and what's really going on, only you really know. We would seek you for your best. We would seek you for your will. We would seek you for a mercy step towards this country. We would pray, Lord, that you would have mercy on so many people that don't know you, so many people that don't even know you're the real deal, the main deal. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning, acknowledge that we have been a polluted and vain nation. We have been um, obscene in many ways. Lord, uh, our political process operates on the level of four-year-olds. 
throwing a temper tantrum. And Lord, as we look at that, we are embarrassed and we just recognize that the things you call us to are the higher level and that, Lord, as a nation, we failed to do that. We seek you for mercy. We ask for your help. Uh, we pray that you would be a great dad, again, in spite of our bad behavior. And we ask for this in your name. Amen. All right. Now, I think when it comes to this statement about Jesus here, uh, we kind of take this for granted. You know, read through that again while I'm talking, but I think we kind of take it for granted. And one of the reasons why is because we know the end of the story, right? We know how this plays out. But the second thing is that we just assume that all Jesus had to do, when it comes to thinking of Jesus, we kind of have this picture of, you know, all he had to do was go through the motions because he also knew the end of the story, right? And since he knew the end of the story, uh, it wasn't a hard thing. But I want to suggest something this morning that I think will resonate with us as true. Uh, work with me on this and see if this isn't so. Sometimes, just because we know the end of the story doesn't mean it makes what we have to go through any easier, right? You may know what you have to go through, Right? So, for example, uh, if you've been in a family and one of the family members has had to have surgery, you kind of know what you have to go through. If you've been in a family situation uh, where there's been a death in the family, you kind of know what you have to go through. If you go through a job change, you kind of know what you have to go through. Right? But that doesn't mean that because you know that, it makes it any easier. Because the going through it can be a bear, right? And the going through it can be really difficult. Also of note, it is easier to be obedient when things are being given to you, and it's harder when they're being taken away from you. Right? So if you're going into something and stuff's given to you, it's not so hard to be obedient. But if you're going through something where God's asked you to go through it and things are getting taken away, then it becomes really difficult. And the question is, well, what, what am I getting out of this? But here's the greatness of Jesus. The greatness of Jesus is that under pressure, he was at his best. And he stayed in submission to his father. Jesus said this about himself. He was talking, he said, I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming. And he has nothing in me, but so that the world may know that I love the father, I do exactly as the father commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. All right? Paul gives us the end result of this incredible obedience to Jesus, of Jesus to the Father that we saw last week. But let's plow into it a little more. Is this just hype? In other words, when we come to these kind of things and we're talking about what Jesus had, is this just kind of God hyping his own political commercial? Let's use the context we're in right now, right? Is this just hype? Uh, is this, maybe it's Jesus play-acting. Right? He came down and it was a Hollywood studio set and they made it look good, and, but really it wasn't that difficult and it wasn't that hard. Not really hard. Not like it is for us. Right? Not that real. Not, not what we have to go through because it was different for him because he was God. So it's, it's play acting. Right? You know, that's not the picture the scripture paints. Look at this description found in the book of Hebrews. 
It says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We don't have time to go into Melchizedek this morning, but that's another fascinating study. But look at what this says. Uh, here's what it's saying here is two really radical things. First one is this. It says that when he, Jesus, was praying, and we, we know a lot of stories about Jesus going out early in the morning, right? The disciples are trying to find him. But probably the most poignant place where Jesus prayed was Gethsemane, right? That, that's where it all came down. So if we're talking about whether this is play acting or not, that's where it all came down. And it says that he offered prayers and supplication, and here's the interesting description, with loud cries and tears. Okay? Loud cries and tears. I think we, you know, our picture of Gethsemane is, you know, you have the disciples, they come out, they had a full meal, they're a little sleepy, a little tired because they came out with a full meal. Jesus takes James, uh, Peter, James, and John, takes them with them about a stone's throw away, says, hey, guys, pray with me. Jesus goes over a little farther away, and he's praying. And because he prays, he's like, it's the Father, Father. And Peter and James and John are and then and they're saying, how could you not stay awake? And they're like, because you mesmerize us to sleep with your prayer, right? They're kind of like nodding off, like, like, all right, that's kind of our picture of Gethsemane, right? If you think about it, that's not what it says, though. It says that Jesus was over by himself with loud cries and tears. God, Father, oh, really? That's more what it was like. And the disciples fell asleep during that, right? So we're talking about this anguish of heart. This, this just evacerating. Sorry, I didn't mean to scare you, or at home, sorry. Um, but I was trying to get the context of it. That it's, it, he was bawling his eyes out. This was traumatic. He had agreed to it a long time before, but the actual moment was staggering. Said it crushed him. Said he was praying to such an extent, he had sweat that was like drops of blood. That means he's literally in such anxiety and tension, he's hemorrhaging. That's a hard thing to walk through. If you think your thing is hard, which it is, just match it up to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, I need to connect with you because I know how you go to hard things. This is what I was talking about here. The second thing is it says that he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, again, uh, it says being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now, if you're tracking with that your head just went right why how does one who is god who knows all things learn obedience and how does one who's perfect be made perfect right jesus had no sin right how does one be made perfect well if you can't figure that that's okay because theologians have wrestled with the meaning of this for centuries right so we'll just leave that lay where it's at but one thing is clear Here's something that's really clear from that story in Gethsemane. You can know about something, but you really don't know it until you do it. 
Okay? Let's just put it on the human level. You can know about something, but you really don't know it until you can do it. Uh, when I talk about uh, principles for parenting, here's my four principles for parenting. Parents are listed this morning, throw this in for free. All right, here you go. Number one, you, you can't uh, give away what you don't have. Okay? Number two, you can't teach others what you don't know. Number three, you can't take others farther than where you've been. You can tell them about them, but you can't take them there. You haven't been there. And number four, you reproduce who or what you are. All right? There's something about doing it that sets up a different kind of knowledge. Right? And that's often why God comes to us and says, do this. And our American question to him is, why? And have you ever noticed that God's not too interested in answering the why question? If you come to God and say, why did this happen? You know, crickets. Right? Nothing. You're like, man, what's with that? But if you come to God and say, wow, this blew me out of the water. This was awful. All right, God, I'm probably not going to get a why question answered, but what would you like me to do and how would you like me to do it? Right? Then you get answers to prayer. What would you like me to do? And how would you like me to do it? In other words, what's the action and what's the tone? Not only do I have to go through it, but what's so critically important, it's going to tie to this morning, how do I have to go through it? What's the right, right tone to it? And this, by the way, uh, is our tremendous confidence in Jesus because he did it. He did it, and he did it right. He did it before his father. And this is our confidence in him. He didn't just talk a good show. He isn't just telling other people, hey, do all this stuff. I don't have to do it because I'm God, but you're schmucks, so go ahead, you have to do it. That's not how God operated. He's, he, he, before he ever asked anything of you or me, he's always done it first himself. And that's what Jesus did here. And because of that now, he reigns. Look at the description of him now when he returns. It says this in Revelation, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. Okay? And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. How do we find Jesus in this picture? Not in the Garden of Gethsemane with wails and cries, right? Not on the cross shattered and broken for our sin. How do we find him? We find him coming back super exalted, right? This is like an exaltation on steroids, right? He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His name, he has a name that's so holy and pure that he's the only one who knows who or what it is. And it doesn't say this, but I believe he's the only one who can speak or use it. Because of his submission, other translations would say because of his reverent submission, right. he is now exalted to the highest position. There's no name as exalted as his. And, and by the way, while we're on the topic, this is why it's wrong and evil to swear in his name. Okay? If we take the name of Jesus Christ on our lips as a swear word, this is why it is so wrong and evil to do that. We must not swear in his name. Even the Ten Commandments tell us that. But here's the reason why. Now look again at Paul's description. Having just said that, let's come back to this. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of the Father. And the question this morning is, here or online, have you bowed the knee? Have you bowed the knee to this King? Have you bowed the knee to this Lord? Have you agreed with his assessment of the situation that he's right and we're not? Have you said, I'm wrong and I need your salvation? If you have, hang in there. If you haven't, this would be a marvelous moment in history for you to do that. This would be a time to embrace the name of Jesus and say, you know what? It can't just be I know about you. I need to know you. I need to let you come into my life. I need to give the control of my life over to you. And Lord Jesus, you know what? This morning, I want to do that. And it'd be as simple as this. You just close your eyes and say, Lord Jesus, we, I come to you this morning. I need your help. I can see where the gap is. I see my sin. And I know I'm not saved. I know I know about you. I don't know you. And to be saved, I need to know you. And I need to confess how wrong I am. And I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. And I ask, Lord Jesus, in your mercy, would you come in and save me by the power of your spirit and through the actions uh, we've just been talking about, what Jesus just did here. I believe, Lord. I believe in my heart. I confess with my mouth. And with that, I need to be saved. I ask this in your name. Amen. That's a simple prayer. Many of us have prayed that prayer. Ah, many of us have prayed that prayer several times over, right? <laughs> but it's a great prayer. And if that's you, pray that prayer and then let somebody know you prayed it. All right. Let's move on this morning. Verse 12. Now we're in Philippians chapter 2 still. Verse 12. There's another therefore. All right. So this, the first therefore is this one that we saw about Jesus being highly exalted. The second therefore... <coughs> excuse me, is a result of what believers should do. This would be true for the Philippian church and us uh, as a result of what God has done for Jesus and who he is. Starting with verse 12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, God's doing a job, and he's at work. And where's he at work? He's at work inside of us. And Paul's encouraging further obedience, and not just like they did when he was with them, All right. but even now more so in his absence. You know, there's that old saying, while the cat's away, the mice will play, right? And there's this idea of, hey, if the authority structure isn't around, I, I can goof off, and then I'll get serious again when the authority structure shows up. That's a bad way for the church to operate. Okay. Oh yeah, Jesus is in heaven. We'll get serious when he comes back. A ah, little too late. Right? Day late and a dollar short on that one. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Come on, remember, Jesus is present. And remember, Jesus is watching. Therefore, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, have great joy that you're saved, but remember who it is that you're following. And I, I think... The American church, we get very lackadaisical sometimes, you know, and, and not to pick on any stereotypes or anybody in the room, but we've all done this. We walk in, we've got our coffee, we're, uh, da, 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 you know, just, and yeah, I'll worship with the uh, pastor, but I went to church and it was good. And we completely miss who and why we came for, and that that person deserves astounding astounding reverence and respect. 
And if there's one thing that the American Protestant church misses, and if you're wondering why some people are going back to the high forms of church, is simply because the aspect of reverence that's missing in our culture, all right? And uh, it's, a, it's a really serious thing, and I try to work that in a lot when, when we're talking here. The work of the Christian life is to cooperate with God in his grace. It is God who is at work. See, sometimes we think we're doing all the work and God's sitting on his big fat duff doing nothing. And would you just get off your butt and do something, then something could happen. We're dying down here. What's wrong with you? Now, of course, none of us would ever say that, right? Because we're not stupid and we don't want lightning to hit us. Okay? So I'll say it just so that... But we think that all the time. And, and something kicks in here that Paul's going to talk about um, because it's God who's at work for his good will and his pleasure. Uh, and sometimes the problem is we look around and we don't see much. Well, God, God where? God what? I see God nothing. I don't see God something. I, like, I need some real help, not some fake spiritual help. And we don't see God at work in, in others or ourselves. But, you know, the sanctification process uh, is very much like children growing. Uh, I was watching yesterday in the parking lot. Some family showed up. I hadn't seen them in a while. And I, I saw the kids. And I was like, wow, you know, right? If you're with your children every day, you don't notice it so much. Unless you're Robin Amanda right now because, right, Jackson's doing different things every day. Okay? But as you're with them every day, you don't really realize how fast they're changing. But if you haven't seen them in a little bit, all of a sudden, pook, and whoa. Right? If you haven't seen them in a couple months, wow. If you haven't seen them in a year or two, it's shocking. Right? Somebody walks in and goes, you know, hi, Dave. And you're looking up like, I think I know you. You know? <laughs> it, it's shocking, but that's what the Christian life is like, is God's doing that every day, every minute, and the change doesn't look like so much until you just stay with it, and then people become shocked with the change. We've been talking about this diagram here for the last few weeks, and this diagram talks about the process of how God helps us become like him, that we have to stay on the right side of the line with him. When God draws a line and says, don't go on the other side of the line, we have to, we have to obey. And when he moves the line, we have to move with him. Okay? We can't sit there and say, well, I'll think about it. Now, he's not asking our permission whether we want to think about it or not. He's asking us to be obedient to his lead because he knows what's happening. Right? And so God not only moves us away from usually one or two sinful things we still want to hang on to, but he moves us towards some targets that we have never hit yet and wants to build in us. For example, in my life, if you wanted to do this, uh, just be transparent in front of everybody, so what it looks like, yeah, on the right side of the line would have been anger. God has been working on me with anger since 1988. Let, let me rephrase that. God's been working on me with anger since 1979. I just realized it in 1988. Okay? You're saying 1988? That's longer than half of you in the room have been alive. Yes, I'm a slow learner. Okay? And he has been pushing me all these years, working, moving the line. And what's he moving the lines toward? Patience. Gentleness, kinder. Slower, gentler, kinder, Steve. Slower, gentler, kinder. If any of you have heard that from me, 
in, in counseling and it's blown you away, that's because it's an autobiographical comment. All right? That's my problem. Okay? And, and now people are frustrated with me. They go, God, you're driving me nuts. You're more patient than Jesus. And I go, no, I'm patient because of Jesus. And it's not been a fun process, but it has been a very, very good process. All right? And I'm a much better Steve and a much better husband and a much better father and a much better pastor than I ever would have been. Now, does that mean I've arrived? Ah, no, I asked my wife. No, it's still there. Okay. But it, the needle's moving. At least it's moving. That's a good sign, all right? And this is how God works in us. This is the process of cooperation. It's called the process of surrender. But something happens in this process. And the next verse alerts us to us. And the next verse is kind of weird because when you're reading the chapter, you're going along with all this exalted stuff, and it kind of comes sort of like out of the blue. And it, it kind of jumps out. It, it almost feels out of context. Like, what? Where did that come from? Uh, and because Paul, uh, if you haven't read Paul, he writes really long sentences, right? They go on for like three chapters, right? Commas and parentheses and that kind of stuff. So I'm just going to grab the first phrase here. And it says this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Some of your translations would say complaining. All right. Why is this an admonition? Well, like I said, now this seems to come out of the blue. But the reality is it doesn't. Look at the genius of Paul. He sets the whole thing up with this incredible picture uh, of Jesus that emphasizes not only his incredible submission, but also highlights his authority and power. And then he reminds them, it is God who is at work in them to will and work for his good pleasure, not their good pleasure. And then he tells them to what? Stop fussing. Stop fussing. Get over it. Deal with it. Stop grumbling and complaining. Why? Because Paul knows there's been some of that in the church. He writes about it. We saw it in chapter 1. We'll see it again in chapter 4. And he knows that there has been some disputes. And they would know, the Philippian church would know exactly what he's getting at. Right? When someone writes a letter to you, you know. And so he knows he's pinpointing something. And it must be repeated and underlined again. God is really irked. Okay? You want to tick off God? You want to make him mad at you? You want to be on the wrong side of the equation with him? One of the ways to do it that's really effective is by a grumbling, complaining, and unthankful spirit in his people. There is very few things that irk God on that level. And this, of course, goes back to the wilderness wanderings, right? We've uh, done this. We've talked about this. And I know what you're thinking this morning. Mm -hmm. Even at home. I know, what you're, I know where you are. You're going, Pastor Steve... Haven't we covered this before? And the answer is yes. Yes, we have. So then you might say to yourself, so why are we covering it again? And the answer would be that it has popped up and it seems that God wants to underline the lesson. Weird how that keeps happening. You would think God was trying to make a point or something. Ask this question. Do you think there's going to be any grumbling going on this week in our country? Any complaining in our country this week? 
How do you think as a nation we come across to God? That's enough for repentance right there, right? So let's go back to the narrative. Let's look at it again. Let's, we find in the Old Testament, look at it again. I put this together. The, when they were in the wilderness wandering, this is, if you don't know the story, this is God brings uh, Jacob and his family, leads the way with Joseph. They come, they wind up in uh, Egypt, and the, the nation is saved. Joseph, of course, helps Egypt and Israel be saved. And then there's 400 years. They come under slavery. We know that story. They're brought out. And this is the wanderings in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, what was it that they particularly grumbled and complained about? Okay, well, they grumbled about the water. Okay, they didn't like the tap water that was available for them there. Uh, they grumbled about the lack of water. Do you, did you bring us out here to die of thirst, as the exact words used? They grumbled about the lack of food. Oh, that we could sit in Egypt around the pots of leeks and onions and garlics and meat. <clears throat> they grumbled about the food when God did give them food. Eh. What is this? They grumbled about the leadership. Moses and Aaron, Aaron idiots. Stupid. Where did they come up with this? We can lead better than this. As a matter of fact, uh, several of them, Korah, Nathan, and Abiram, decided they would do a little mutiny and overthrow and do that. And they not only grumbled about the journey, <clears throat> uh, they, they also grumbled about the destination. We don't like it here in this desert. And you want us to go where? There? No. No, 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 no. You, you just brought us this far to kill us all in the desert. We aren't going there. God says, all right, you don't want to go there? Then fine, you'll die in the desert. Okay? <clears throat> and you're saying, well, that's not very nice of God to react that way. You know, even God can be provoked by idiots. All right? <laughs> Look at what God says. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, how long shall this wicked generation grumble against me? That's not a good start. All right? When God calls you wicked because you have a grumbling, complaining spirit, that is not a good place to be. I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumbled against me, and say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead body shall fall in this wilderness, and all your number, listed in the census from 20 years old and upward. Can you imagine if you were 19 and a half? Who have grumbled against me. Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell. That is not a good passage. That is a passage of absolute failure of a generation to trust the Lord. The book of 1 Corinthians catalogs this for us. It says this, they're talking about that era right there. Now these things took place as what? Examples for us. In other words, what's an example? An example is either something that you do, this would be a good thing, here's a good thing, or it's an example of something that's bad, don't do that. So don't do this. Do do that. All right? They were given as examples that we might not, what, desire evil as they did. What's behind grumbling, complaining spirit? What's behind unthankfulness? There's something evil I want, and I know God won't give it to me, or I'm grabbing it anyways, and when it blows up and falls apart, then I'm going to be really upset with him. I have other words to use for that, but I can't use them in church, right? Because I am the church, darn. All right. 
But do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it was written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to, what's the word there? Play in the play there is not playing like linking logs and video games and things. I just realized linking logs. Have you gone, what are linking logs? Okay. Video games. Let's use video games. Be current. Okay. Play there is sexual immorality, fornication, sex outside of marriage, grabbing Moabite women and shacking them. That's what that is. We don't like your rules. We don't like the desert. We don't like the deprivations. And we want to have some fun. In our culture, when they talk about having fun, it's about breaking out apart from God's rules. I'll do it my way. And so it says, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge, Paul says, in sexual immorality. Some did that, and 23,000 fell in a single day. By the way, in case we just take this as a history lesson, and I'm waxing on a lot of these rabbit trails this morning. Sorry about that. But if we take this as just a history lesson, well, that's something that happened way back then. Do not think for a moment that if you are indulging in sexual immorality, that means pornography. That means you're having an affair. That means you're cheating. That means you're lusting in your life. That kind of thing. Do not think that God cannot take your life today. If he did it back then, he can take it today. And if he doesn't do it today, it's because of his great kindness and mercy. Listen to me. It's his great kindness and mercy that he doesn't do it. But don't be arrogant to think that you're getting away with something because it's going to cost you. And he could take your life. I personally know stories, particularly of some pastors, who dabbled in this and God took their life. It can happen today. It's not a history lesson. It's a history lesson to inform us what not to do and what not to follow as an example. We must not put... Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. You'd like that one, honey. My wife hates snakes. Nor grumble. Look at grumbling here. And they grumbled as some of them did, and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Paul goes on to say this. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. It's not a question of whether there's a route out or not. It's a question of whether I want to take it. Scripture says God will provide a way out. The question is, am I going to take it when it's offered to me? Or am I going to dive back into the rabbit hole? And notice the context for this passage, as you see it up on the screen. Notice the context for this passage is about grumbling and complaining. They desired some evil things. They did not like what God was doing. They grumbled and complained, and that was the outcome. And then we say, oh, but that was them. They were stupid Israelites. They were dumbbells in the desert, right? They were just knotheads. They, they didn't know any better. They didn't have, you know, the New Testament or Jesus. And the question is this morning, are we really any different? Really? Are we any different? Let's test it. Husbands, you ever grumble or complain against your wife? Under your breath. Wives, you ever grumble and complain against your husbands? 
Parents, you ever grumble or complain about your kids? Kids, you ever grumble or complain about your parents? It got really quiet, didn't it? Never has this message been more true than right now. Grumbling and complaining is the spirit of our age. Think about at work. Think about what you hear. Think about in the neighborhood. Think about what, and it, it, it's a, a, an assault, a barrage. Thankfulness is really strange. And it's something that we can easily get caught up in. It becomes the tone of our life. And everything's about what isn't instead of about what is. And notice also here it says in all things, or in other words, in everything. Expositor's Bible commentary notes that most Christians are able to do some things without complaint. It is when we're exhorted to be or to do all things without complaint that the difficulty comes. Right? So here's Paul's encouragement. Going back to Philippians, if you're there, chapter 2, verse 15. Thanks for following along, everybody. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, when that king comes on that white horse, when he rides with the name that no one knows, when the, the words King of Kings and Lord of Lords is on his thigh and he comes to make everything right, says, you will shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the world, so in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Notice that good speech comes from a good heart and that bad speech comes from a crooked or twisted heart. You know, and if you think about it, a lot of what happens in the life of a church Right? When you think of church, a lot of what happens in a church or ministries, right, doesn't really matter, parachurch, whatever, they're all ministries of trying to help people uh, towards the Lord. Uh, a lot of what happens is the untwisting of, if we come out of a twisted culture, it's the untwisting of the knots in our souls that have come to us from living life in a broken world. Right? Makes a lot of sense. The shine as lights of the world comes from Daniel 12, 3, where it says this, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Holding fast to the word of life can also be rendered holding forth the word of life. And so you have that dual nature there. Well, we're going to get ready for communion. And uh, if you're at home, this would be the time if you would... Uh, Get the elements and prepare and bring it for your family. That would be fantastic. Thank you for doing that. For those of us here, it's right there in the chair with you, so uh, you can get that ready. Paul says this in verse 17. He's talking about Jesus' example. Now he's talking about his example. He says, Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice, the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. The drink offering uh, in Jewish culture was a drink offering of a glass of wine, not just any wine, but the best wine that people had. In other words, 
It was the top shelf stuff. And they would pour that into a glass. And then on the altar, the, instead of being uh, drunk, the wine was dumped out on the altar. And the idea there is a drink, drink offering is the idea of your life being poured out. Okay? Not, it feels like not really used the way it's supposed to be because wine is supposed to be drank, not dumped out. Right? And that's where the term drink offering comes from. And it carries this significance. Number one, my best is given to God. And number two, in Paul's case, the acute awareness that he may soon face martyrdom. He knew his life was being poured out. And the point here is that even if our life is poured out as a drink offering, we should rejoice and be glad and not grumble and complain and be unthankful. You feel like your life's going nowhere and all the potential, uh, you know, we grow up in schools now where they teach kids, hey, you can do anything, nothing's impossible for you. And I go, uh-uh, nope, sorry. There are real limits. There's real stuff that's going to stop you. There's real hurdles. And there's stuff that's going to smash you in life. Boy, that's positive, right? But it's true. And you've got to know how to go through that stuff because if you don't know how to go through that stuff, you're never going to make it. That's what Paul is saying here. He's being poured out as a drink offering. His point is, even if that's so, rejoice and be glad. For the offerings to God, but notice Paul's concern. His concern here is, has to do <clears throat> that he had run in vain. That all his efforts, this running around the known world at that time, being whipped five times, uh, <clears throat> being beaten with rod three times, and all the lists that he goes through, all that stuff he did, he was afraid it was all going to be for nothing. He's like, please, I don't want to run in vain. And notice his hopes are firmly placed on the Philippian church. And by the way, the Philippian church was a great encouragement to him. And it was a good church. And he, points, he places this on him and he says that that would not be so with them. And I want to say this morning that we want to be the same way. We want to be a Philippian church. It would be an honor that God would call Norfew a Philippian kind of church. That would be fantastic. All, that all of God's, and here's what I mean by that, that, you know, God has invested a lot of stuff in us. Think about what God has invested in just your life. And think about just a room, and, uh, we, <clears throat> this isn't that big of a room, but at home as well. Think about what God has invested in us. And the prayer here is that it would not be in vain. Okay? That the same way God invested in the Philippian church, he's invested in Norfolk. And that God will rejoice and be glad in us that we would be a church that he would be proud of and that we would increase for his kingdom because we've been faithful. And, and there's a great admonishment in the book of Galatians. You know, as we go into COVID, I know people are weary and that kind of stuff. I just brought back to Galatians 6, verses 9 and 10. It says this, Let us not grow weary of doing good. Anybody gotten weary over the last six, eight months? Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap and what's the key phrase there? If we do not, what? Give up. If we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And this morning we are gathered as the household of faith. And we've come to celebrate communion.
Jesus was poured out as a drink offering. Paul was poured out as a drink offering. Is it okay for you if you're poured out as a drink offering? That means you give it all to him and he has the right to do with your one and only precious life whatever he chooses as it sees fit. Are you okay with that? Jesus said, follow my example. Remember what I did for you. He said, this is my body. It was broken for you. Do this in memory of me. The Bible says, you've been obedient, but not yet to the point of shedding blood. That's true of the American church for the most part. That may change in the future. Jesus said, this is the cup of the covenant shed for the remission of your sins, symbol of his blood. He said, drink this in memory of me. Let's pray. Father, there's a strong emphasis this morning on something that we have a problem with, not just in our world and complaining against each other, but complaining and grumbling against you, being irked with you. And when we get irked with you, you get irked with us. And we recognize when we do that, we're on the wrong side of the equation. And there may be someone here or at home this morning who that just hit them like a freight train and they go, I have got to stop right now. Or I've got to forsake grumbling and complaining. It's become the spirit of how I talk. And Lord, if that's true, I pray for your kindness and mercy towards them. I pray that they would repent and I pray they would walk away from that, that they will cooperate with you in a process of developing thankfulness and joy in their life instead of grumbling and complaining. Lord, we seek you. We do not want to be an irritant to you. We do not want to be the type of people that irk you. We do not want to be the kind of people that make you angry and that you don't even want to be around. Lord, help us to keep a spirit of joy and a spirit of thankfulness and a spirit of appreciation for what you've done and help us keep our eyes on you as we head into the future in this next week and what will be of the United States of America. Only you know we trust you. We ask for your help and pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Steve. As you're able, stand with us. We're going to give you a chance to respond. Just spend some moments with the Lord. Whatever he's laid on your heart this morning, welcome him into your circumstance, into your life.
Thank you, and we'll see you next week.